Right, so I am from California, and that is a profession of pride, not a confession. It is the best coast, not the west coast, as we say. <laughs> I grew up with perfect weather, sand between my toes, surfboard wax and sunscreen that permanently stained the seats in my car, um, and the ability to be on the beach and in the desert and in the mountains all on the same day. And I really, really could go on. But one thing that I have learned about California is that it's full of spirituality. It is a state, not what you were expecting, right? <laughs> it is a state full of yoga studios promising interconnectedness and peace, ex-hippies who only eat nuts and berries and reminisce about their days frolicking in the sunshine, <laughs> outdoor music festivals that promise to sink your heartbeat up with a thumping bass until late into the night. It's full of beautiful scenery that induces awe and wonder in all. And in the last 10 to 15 years, it is also home to the growing movement of spiritual gatherings that are explicitly not religious. Now, you may have heard of the Sunday Assembly Movement, which was actually started in London, John, <laughs> um, but has spread to many other countries. Every Sunday, people gather to sing beautiful music. They admire art and nature. They share about life. They reflect on the world around them. They recite poetry and prose, and they fill their need for regular community. In the founder's own words, it is meant to be like the church, but without God. And to give the benefit of the doubt for just a moment, these groups do seem to have a sincere interest in attaining something transcendent. This sort of spirituality has become more and more popular, whether in the form of specific gatherings meant to foster spirituality, or simply activities and experiences that promise peace and a connection to something greater than yourself. Maybe it's something you're personally familiar with. More and more Americans describe themselves as non-religious, but they also describe themselves as spiritual and identify with statements like, I have a deep sense of spiritual peace and well-being. Our passage from Acts today teaches us about spirituality. It reminds us that spirituality starts with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Christian Trinity. It is spirituality. Acts 2 describes one of the biggest events in biblical history. God the Spirit has come down in a totally new way. And of course, the Holy Spirit wasn't brand new to God's people. Throughout the Old Testament, we're told, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon leaders like Moses and Joshua and Samson and David. The Spirit spoke through the prophets and promised to dwell among the people. The Spirit was there in creation, hovering over the waters. But on this incredible day in Acts 2, the Spirit comes just like the prophet Joel foretold, quoted here in Acts in verses 17 and 18. It says, I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams, even on my male servants and my female servants. In those days I will pour out my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. Do you hear the inclusivity, young and old, men and women, the economically and socially depressed, the disciples as well as those new to following Jesus. The Spirit of God was being poured out in a brand new way, and not just over them, not just among them, not just working through them, but now in them, all of them, all of you. It's why we had people of all ages and languages and ethnic backgrounds read our scripture today. The Spirit was given to anyone who calls upon the name of Jesus. It's the fulfillment of a great promise and prophecy. At the incarnation, God in the person of Jesus came to dwell with us. In Pentecost, God the Holy Spirit came to dwell in us. 
to intimately unite us with the God of the universe. And this day was a foretaste of the climax of the promise of Christian salvation, the promise that one day we will dwell with God while he also dwells in us at the same time. The Holy Spirit had finally come. And all of this took place on the day of Pentecost, which we've now learned is the Greek word for 50. It was the spring harvest festival, as the kids had learned, celebrated 50 days after Passover in ancient Israel. And it commemorated also a time where God's people had camped out at the base of Mount Sinai after escaping slavery in Egypt. And there, Moses climbed up the mountain to meet with God. And God himself descended upon the mountain and in the midst of thunder and lightning and a blaze of fire, because what do you expect when God shows up? God was present and he gave the law to Moses. He established a promised relationship, a covenant with his people. And in the New Testament, Jesus is presented to us as the new Moses. And now Jesus has ascended the mountain, but not Mount Sinai, Mount Zion, all the way up into heaven. He goes up. It's the ascension that we celebrated last week. And here in Acts, the Spirit of God descends upon his people. God's personal presence came upon his people, not with thunder and lightning and a blaze of fire, but with the blowing of a violent wind. Still a shaking and a quaking because God has come down. Not with a blaze of fire on top of Mount Sinai, but what seems to be tongues of fire on top of each and every one of their heads. I'm not sure what that looked like, but I think if we were all to close our eyes and imagine it for a moment, whatever image you get is one of power and glory and unbelievable energy. God is present. A new covenant that the prophets had promised was being established. And so the disciples, having received the Spirit, go out and tell the crowds about Jesus. And then a great harvest, not of grain, but of people, were gathered that day. Peter stands up to preach in verse 14, and we didn't read all of Peter's sermon for the sake of time this morning, but you should read it today. It's probably the best one-minute synopsis of the gospel that exists. It's like a TED Talk condensed into a one-minute elevator pitch for the gospel. And those who accepted Peter's message were baptized, and 3,000 were added to their number that day. A new era of God's spirit had begun. And according to verse 4, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? What is true spirituality? Is it what the Sunday assembly is trying to create, or maybe what you personally are trying to experience? Or could there be something more? I want to run through four things about what Acts 2 tells us about biblical spirituality. So have your Bibles out and open to Acts 2. Four things about spirituality. First, true spirituality descends from heaven. American spirituality tells us that spirituality starts from within you, not something that comes down or from the outside. It says that what you have at the core of your being is essentially good, and you're just not digging deep enough. You're not finding yourself enough. At the truest of your centers is something that you can get, that can get you through life's biggest challenges. So dive in, dig deep, really find yourself. But the Bible tells us something different. You need help from without. You need power that you don't already have. You can't conjure it out of the depths of your soul. You need the power of the Holy Spirit. And how was the Holy Spirit described in verse 2? It came down from heaven like the blowing of a violent wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It came down from heaven. 
So if you need spiritual power or answers to life's greatest questions or motivation to love and do good or even salvation itself, then you need something from heaven, not from within you or from beside you, but from outside you and above you. Our greatest problems, our corrupt hearts and the addictions to selfishness, broken relationships, the misuse of our gifts and resources, all of our deepest problems are in here. And it's not to deny that there are problems out there, but if our life's attention is totally focused on the problems of the world out there, then we can start to accidentally train our heart to believe that the only real solution is right here. That's the arrogance with which we often carry ourselves around, as if we were the solution to all things. And I'm preaching to myself here too. People that are rightly committed to causes of justice and human rights and the sufferings of the world have to be the most on guard against this understanding, this misunderstanding. The greatest resources that we need are not found in here, but are found up there. God the Spirit needs to descend down here and in here for us to rightly love out there. But God gives us what we need. This is a story of grace. God descends. No one pulled the Holy Spirit down from heaven. He was poured out, not sprinkled or trickled or responsibly rationed, but poured out as a gift. <laughs> Number one, true spirituality descends to us from heaven as a gift. Number two, true spirituality is public. American spirituality tends to see what goes on in our interior lives as a private matter. Sure, I might do yoga with a group. I'm really ragging on yoga this morning. Um, but what happens in my soul and my heart is basically up to me. It's my choice and my life and my soul. And of course, what we also mean by private spirituality is the pressure to keep all religious beliefs more and more private. But look what we find in verse 4. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they went off to a quiet retreat. They retreated inward to a place of solitude. And I'm not saying we don't need both of those things, and some of us more than others, me. Um, but no, what did they do? Filled with the Spirit, they began to speak in tongues and languages as the Spirit enabled them. They began to speak and engage with people. They started telling their neighbors about what Jesus had done. Verse 14 says, but Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. And verse 40, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. And verses 16 to 17 say that they would begin to prophesy and have visions and dreams. These are gifts of the spirit that are meant to be public and communal for the good of all. And later in verses 42 to 47, we see that the people's response to receiving the spirit is to care for one another, to build community. Though personally and internally changed, the effects of the spirit, of spirituality, are public. We also know from the rest of the book of Acts that it was this gift of the spirit that was the spark that ignited people to spread out, to plant churches, to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth as they knew it. Now, California might be known for its spiritual people, but it is also known for wildfires. And when I was in high school, my school was closed for a week because of a wildfire so close that many of us needed to evacuate. And do you know what they think ultimately started that fire? We were in the midst of a drought, the ground was bone dry, and a very large insect landed on an electrical fence in such a way that it produced a spark. That spark landed on a patch of dry grass 
and a few days later, thousands of acres had been burned to a crisp. True spirituality is public. It sends you out into the world to start fires in dry and drought-filled lands. Just um, not real ones, please. <laughs> Number three, true spirituality promotes social healing. Jewish people from all over the Mediterranean had come to Jerusalem for Passover. They were all scattered throughout the regions, so most of them, though they were Jewish in ethnicity, they spoke their own languages in their hometowns. And here at Pentecost, they are gathered, as it says in verses five to six, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. What's being described here is that by the power of the Holy Spirit, a miracle was happening in their midst. The people were able to hear and the disciples were able to speak in the languages of all those regions. Verse 12 says they were amazed and perplexed. And wouldn't you be too if you had been able to miraculously understand each of our readers this morning? We have a hard enough time truly understanding each other even when we're speaking the same language. This was a multilingual miracle. And it's meant to be an echo and a reversal of the stories we find in Genesis 10 and 11. In Genesis 10, we're given a table of people and ethnicities, and in 11, we have the story of the Tower of Babel, which is a story of all people speaking one language, but united against God, who were then eventually scattered across the nations in judgment. But here on the day of Pentecost, we see the exact opposite. People from all over the place, formerly scattered, people of every language, being united together by God in Christ, gathered together in salvation. What we have here is God's spirit healing the enduring divisions and hostilities shared by the peoples and cultures of the world. The Bible is full of stories of how these nations had conflict with one another, and it's meant to be a foretaste of heaven and the beginnings of what is not just a one-time occurrence at Pentecost, but a new normal in the life of the church. It reminds us that unity and harmony and solidarity across racial and ethnic and cultural differences is not just a human endeavor and not something that can be overcome by human will or ingenuity, but can only be dealt with ultimately by the power of the Spirit of God. Pentecost symbolized a new unity in the Spirit that transcends national and ethnic and linguistic barriers. And you see what we find in this passage is one of the major distinctives of Christianity. There is no one language that is the preferred language of God. There is no one culture that is the true culture. There is no one ethnicity that is the right ethnicity. But rather, the gospel finds expression in every culture, and it critiques every culture as well. The Holy Spirit didn't erase all languages and cultures and create one new common language. No, the Spirit caused them to have unity and understanding despite still being uniquely created as specific ethnic and cultural people. And so, to become a follower of Christ, to grow in the spirit, true spirituality, doesn't simply mean becoming a more American Christian. Rather, it means that as you grow in the life of the spirit of Christ, you actually become more truly Chinese, as God has made you Chinese, more truly black American, as God has made you, more Japanese, as God has made you, more German and British and Nigerian and Puerto Rican, and yes, even Californian, as God has made you. Because God speaks your language. And at the same time, because you're united with God through the Holy Spirit, 
you can hold your cultural allegiance more loosely so that you can also dwell deeply in unified Christian family. This is such a unique vision of what it can mean to bring people from all over the place with natural differences and hostilities together. And we don't mean this simplistically or naively because the challenge is great. But it must be said that if you reject this particular vision of the unifying purposes of God across all our differences and hostilities, then you're rejecting one of the very purposes of the Spirit of God. To believe and to understand that the Holy Spirit doesn't just favor one group, but rather translates his grace and communication from one place and one people to the next. There's no room for supremacy of any group or culture. And it's easy to say of that, of course, I don't feel that myself is supreme or think that God loves me or my people more than others. But what we also have to recognize is that human nature is so often to be tribal and to love and protect our own more than and at the expense of others. And of that, we need to repent and to regularly ask ourselves, how do we make this a place that is not just generically inclusive and diverse, as the world might define that, but that's a family? United by the grace of God and the blood of Jesus, how can we be a community that speaks the word of God into the heart language of every person here? True spirituality promotes social healing. Fourth and lastly, true spirituality invites life change in community. True spirituality invites life change. It is not just experiential. American spirituality tends to be about what I'm going through and what it feels like to me, but it is not transformational. It doesn't hold you accountable. It is one reason that New Age spirituality is so attractive because you can get a good dose of God but not have to actually change anything about your life. You're not accountable. But here's a spirituality that invites you to life change because it invites you to true life. How does Acts 2 tell us that people responded to the Holy Spirit? Peter had just finished preaching a lot of facts and truths about Jesus. And verse 37 tells us that when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They were being changed at the very center of their being. It rattled them to the core. Peter had reminded them about the mighty works and wonders of Jesus, but he also reminded them of their role in Jesus' death. Verse 36 says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, whom you crucified. And it is this Jesus who was then raised up in verse 33 and 34 say, Therefore being exalted at the right hand of God, And having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. So you see, the Holy Spirit, spirituality, can never be disconnected from Jesus. Rather, Peter tells them, it is the Jesus that you crucified who is now giving you this gift. And so they asked him, brothers, what should we do? And isn't that just the perfect response to hearing about Jesus? The simple question, what should I do? Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. So what does it look like to repent? 
Repent just means to change your mind about yourself and about Jesus, turning away from your sins and turning towards him to receive the life of God in Christ. Receiving the spirit, professing spirituality, requires repentance and belief in Jesus. It's that kind of spirituality, is that the kind of spirituality that you have begun to seek? One that doesn't simply keep you at the center of your life, but reconfigures your life around Jesus so that you are no longer the center of your own story, but rather you serve one who is. Once we really begin to be honest about how much we live for ourselves, even if we live for and serve other people, we so often really do it for our own glory and not for God. Perhaps then we can begin to say, yes, I too have crucified Jesus. It is for my sins that he had to die. It is for my rebellious heart. It is for my rejection that Christ died. Not just at the hands of men, but by God himself. And not just torn up physically, but by the terrors of hell as he suffered the judgment that you and I deserve. American spirituality invites positivity. Look at the bright side of everything. But it's another form of dishonesty. We might get uncomfortable with the accountability of biblical spirituality, but guess what you also get? Life in eternity, true life, and true life in community, in family. The moment the people receive the spirit of God, he pushes them right into community, right into family. Verses 42 to 47 give us this incredible picture of the communal grace of God working in the midst of his people. The Spirit prompted people to live not beside one another, but with one another. They shared life. They knew who was sick and hungry and hurting. They took care of each other, all of each other, not leaving anyone out. They prayed and went to temple and were in each other's homes. And let's not paint a rosy picture that this was always easy. They still had personalities and opinions and cultural differences. They didn't return to some Garden of Eden state of perfection. No, the Spirit of God moved them to look forward to the reality that one day, this is how life would always be. They would be one in the Spirit, praising God, living together as a diversity of people, but all equal members of God's family. Do you long for this kind of community, for this kind of intimacy with God? Can the spirituality you practice today give you this kind of spirit, this Holy Spirit, do you need this kind of spirituality today? Whether for the first time or newly after a season of life that has looked more like an ash-filled fire pit than a blazing bonfire. Today of all days, look upward rather than inward and receive the gift of the Spirit that is being poured out. And then live with the Spirit. Establish rhythms that remind you regularly that you need help and power from outside yourself whether it's missional community or daily habits that reorient your life around who God is and who he's made you to be. Maybe it even means taking yourself out of positions or relationships, at least for a time, where it's easy to feel that you have all the power to fix or change or heal. Maybe it means regularly gathering with people who are different from yourself, whether in language or culture or social status or something else. When we try to gather ourselves, we most naturally gather a monolithic crowd. But that is not how God gathered his people to give them the gift of the Spirit. And it is not what our eternity will look like. 
If you don't have regular interactions with those who are different, ask why. Where would you have been on Pentecost in this great gathering? Would you have stayed away because of the potential for tension with so many different kinds of people? Reject that temptation and live out life with the Spirit among all of God's people. Break bread together, whether it is naan or injera or cornbread or tortillas or challah or sopapillas or mantu or good old wonder bread. <laughs> live here, leave here today with something more than yourself. Just like the crowd of Pentecost, you have been gathered together like blood that returns to the lungs for new oxygen to be sent back out again to live and to love, to gather back again and to be sent out and over and over and over. This is the heartbeat of our life together. And this is true spirituality. Amen.